Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. First, however, let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may your spirit rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, last week it was all rainbows, literally, as we talked about Noah and the flood and God's promise never to destroy the earth by flooding it again. This week is about a promise too, albeit an admittedly less palatable one. If you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, I promise you, you're going to have to learn a lot about sacrifice. If any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Those are Jesus' words as the Gospel of Mark presents them to us. I once knew a woman who had a cross to bear. That was what she would tell anyone who would listen. Her son was not coming home for Thanksgiving that year. He'd He'd be sharing that meal with his wife and her family. Now, mind you, he had been there last Thanksgiving, and he would be back for Christmas. Even still, I'll miss him, she'd sigh, but that's my cross to bear. Her husband was working late for a season, picking up some extra shifts to have some extra money on hand. She had to keep dinner waiting. He never comes home at the same time from day to day, she said. That's just the cross I have to bear. Her washing machine broke one time back when I knew her. It required a trip to the laundromat before the repairman could come out. That, too, was her cross to bear, as was the dog that needed regular bathing and the cat with daily insulin shots and the weekly ironing she insisted upon. We all have our cross to bear, she insisted. And, of course... She's right. We do all have a cross to bear. Jesus is clear about that in today's scripture passage. 
But the cross that Jesus carries and the sacrifice that he calls us to, it is about much more than individual irritations or even legitimate disappointment. Which is not to say that those things aren't real. They absolutely are. It seems to me, though, that to borrow Jesus' own words to Peter, my acquaintance was setting her mind not on divine things, but on human things. Now that is always our inclination because we are, after all, human. In human hands, though, the cross is at best a symbol of frustration and fear. And at worst, it is a deadly instrument of punishment and torture. It takes divine intervention for it to become anything else, and it takes divine reorientation for it to become a symbol of life and love. In taking up our own cross, then, and in giving up our own life, we are invited to do so not in ways that are small, but in ways that make room for a divine reorientation in our lives so that we might somehow become part of that divine reorientation of the entire world. It won't be easy. There's nothing easy about it, which is why I think Peter speaks for all of us when he hears Jesus predict his own death. Caught up in all of his humanity, he says, no, Lord, no, you, you have got to have it wrong. Don't talk that way. Don't think that way. Knock it off, Jesus, really. The text says that Peter rebuked him, which is the same word to describe what Jesus did to the unclean spirits when he would drive them out of a person. Stop it, Peter must have said. This is no time for that kind of talk. And in response, Jesus looks at his trusted friend, his devoted follower, and he says, get behind me, Satan. To the one upon whom he will eventually build his church and to the one toward whom he directs the only individual beatitude, Jesus also issues the harshest reproach. There's good reason for that, though, because his words take us immediately back from Mark chapter 8 to Mark chapter 1, where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan. It was then that some expression of evil tempted Jesus to give up the life that God had in mind for him and take an easier road. And here, Peter unwittingly offers a very similar temptation to turn away from the path set before him, dangerous and difficult and death-dealing though it may be, and turn toward an easier one. It was the expectation of the world of first-century Jews and it is the expectation of our world today that progress always looks polished. And that which will save us is shiny and clean, new and improved, the best and the brightest, with a perfect record and a rock-solid plan. 
the Messiah they believed would come in power and glory in a cloud of triumph and victory. But then Jesus shows up and he says, no. He says, I am indeed the Messiah, but your expectations are wildly off base. I will not be beloved by the leaders. I will be despised. They will hate me and they will hunt me. There will be humiliation and shame, death and brokenness and utter despair. There is nothing glamorous about my way in this world. He says, you will not find me in the corridors of power or at any of the right parties. You'll find me in the forgotten corners and at all the wrong tables, talking to anyone that everyone else has overlooked. If you are looking for me, he says, you will have to pay careful attention to the ones all around you. When there is someone saying, I hurt, you will have to learn how to say, show me where. And you will have to learn how to stop saying, it's not as bad as you think. And where there is someone saying, I need, you will have to learn how to say, here, take what I have. And you will have to learn how to stop saying, but this is mine, fair and square. Oh, he says, you will have to deal with people thinking that you have lost all your good sense. And you might even have to deal with people thinking you've lost all your good religious upbringing. But if you give it a try, he says, if you really give it a try, I promise you, you just might find your soul. They were searching for the Messiah, which means the anointed one the one set apart. But he said to them that a real Messiah is the one that you'll find in the midst of the muck and the mire of life's hardest moments. Because those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for the sake of the gospel, they are the ones who will save it. The way of the cross is not the easy way through this world. Make no mistake about it. It is not the easy way or even the expected way, but it is the worthwhile way. And it is absolutely the Christ-like way. There is another lesson in this text for us today, though. If we are to take up our cross if we are to live toward that divine reorientation, if we are to pick up the life that Jesus offers us, we might, some of us, in order to pick up all of that, we might have to set some other things down. Have you ever tried to carry too much? And I mean that literally. I have never been someone who enjoys grocery shopping. It's a task I endure only because I am fairly accustomed to eating on a regular basis. But for many years of my life, I would put it off for as long as possible, and I would scrape together incredibly odd recipes and combinations of leftovers until I really did have absolutely no choice but to go to the store. 
which meant then, of course, that the trip would be an enormous one and there would be bags upon bags upon bags that would be loaded into the back of my car, at least when I lived back in Kansas. And I would pull into my driveway and open the trunk and then, despite the walk from my car to the porch and into the kitchen being a matter of maybe 20 feet or less, I would try to carry all the bags in at once. It didn't matter how many there were or how heavy they were or what fragile, breakable things they might contain. It was a game I played with myself. It was some essential challenge I issued myself that all of the groceries, all of the bags had to be carried in with just one trip. Which meant that inevitably I would loop plastic bags up and down my arms until I could barely lift them and I would stagger toward the door and I'm telling you without fail, I would end up dropping something because my arms were too full. And more than once, I ended up chasing wayward cans of soup as they were rolling down the driveway, and I was chasing after them using way more time and energy than if I had just tried to carry less but taken two trips in the first place. It took me moving to New York City to get over this. Moving to a city where you can only purchase exactly what you can carry, and not just 20 feet from the car into the kitchen, but blocks or miles from the store to home. Try to carry too much, and you just absolutely aren't going to make it very far. And on more than one occasion in that city, I would find myself standing in a store deciding between two kinds of cereal or two types of coffee or debating grapes versus apples because there was a limit to how much could fit in my bag and how much I could pile in my arms. There was a limit and I had had to come to terms with that. And what's true for groceries is true for the rest of life, too. We can't carry everything at the same time. So if we're going to take up our cross and follow Jesus, well, the odds are good we're going to have to set some other things down first. And I think that includes the things that burden us or bewilder us or haunt us because those are some of the very heaviest things. Sacrificial living can actually make space for us to finally give up some of the things we never wanted to be lugging around in the first place. It's not just a nice side benefit either. I think it's actually an essential part of the process. So that unending fear of inadequacy that you carry, or that guilt over being an imperfect parent. Set it down. That exhaustion from fighting so hard for so long, or that bruised heart that is still hurting from your own childhood. Set it down. Set it down gently, but put it down and let it be or your conviction that you can't make a difference, set that down too. 
or that raging imposter syndrome or the worry that you are only really ever valued for what you can accomplish or your secret anxiety that real faith will always elude you or real love will always be beyond you or your concern that there really might not be enough or that you might really never be enough yourself, set it down. Set all of that down. Because not until we have set those things down, not until we have sacrificed those those unholy beliefs about ourselves that we have held on to for so long, will we really be able to take up our cross and follow Christ. Because to follow Christ wherever he may lead, it takes the fullness of us. It takes the fullness of our lives. It takes everything we have. It is not something we can do half-heartedly or haphazardly. It is not something we can do if our arms are too full of baggage to see the path in front of us. We cannot fully follow Christ if we are chasing after our own selfish gain or short-sighted glory. But neither can we fully follow Christ if we are burdened down by unrealistic expectations or unfounded guilt or unhealthy conviction. If any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To sacrifice everything for the sake of the cross is really to give up on absolutely everything. And that includes our expectations about what the Messiah was supposed to look like or where he might show up and what he might be all about. But it is also to give up on anything that hinders us or holds us back from following in his footsteps. And not for nothing but a life of sacrifice, a life given up for Christ's sake, it is not a lesser than life. It is, in fact, the exact opposite. It is a life where burdens are laid down and justice rises up. It is a life where water is turned into wine so that the party can continue late into the night. It is a life where the dead are called out of the tomb and everything that is bound up is loosed and set free. It is a life where crumbs of bread are turned into a feast for thousands as baskets are passed from hand to hand to hand. It is a life where joy comes every single morning as sure as the sunrise. It is a life that will ask absolutely everything of you, to be sure. But with less to carry, there is so much to gain. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.